Do you ever see those clickbait lists online? They're usually titled 101 films you have to see before you die. They pop up every once in a while. But tell the truth, how many have you actually seen? These movies are so ingrained in the fabric of modern pop culture through references and homages that you'd be forgiven for thinking that you'd actually seen them. So why not join me, Sam, a self-confessed cinephile who currently works in the film and television industry and even went to university to study film and TV. The only issue is, I've not seen many films. And me, Joel, a man who likes films a lot but is constantly described by his friends as overly anal and picky. But I'll let you decide. Each week, we will break down and review a different film, from zany cult classics to what many describe as cinematic masterpieces. Do these films deserve the legacy they've been given, or are they just overrated, bloated rubbish? Let's find out, as this week we discuss Pulp Fiction. This is a 1001 Movies We Have Not Seen. Pulp Fiction. The 1994 film directed by Quentin Tarantino. <sighs> oh, mate. Back to back, isn't it? <laughs> back to back. Films that make you think. Mm. <sighs> I mean, this one's not as confusing, question mark? No, it's not confusing at all. It's, it's, it's really unlinear. Yeah. Uh, yeah, or we should not, probably say that at the top. Some might say non-linear. <laughs> You're not an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Unlinear. <laughs> uh, it's a big old plot summary, and <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, I'm gonna. So this film is not in order. The scenes you'll see him play out aren't happening in the order that you're being presented them with. I think the key um, piece of information is at the right at the start where it gives you the definition of pulp. Which yeah. It's just like a wet mess. And that uh, is, is what this film is. Pulp fiction. A wet mess story. It's a wet mess of a story. It's uh, yeah, that that is on it hits the nail on the head. I I caught myself Asking myself why I'm watching this so many times. Yep. No, no, I 100% agree. <laughs> I was trying to think, is this a good film? Yeah. Or is this what he's made and he's managed to craft something around it? It's. I think it's trying to be more clever than it is. And I... Yeah... I was kind of waiting for a big reveal. Yeah. And it um and it doesn't happen or storyline. Is um, there? Okay. I don't think there is. No, I don't think there is. I think it's a bunch of short stories. It's it's two maybe three films that are very 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 loosely linked together and then yeah. I was so this is on IMDb's top one hundred. It's like number seven, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah, definitely top ten. So I was I was expecting a lot. This is rubbing shoulders with Lord of the Rings, with Shawshank Redemption, with The Godfather, all those films. So I was I was expecting a pretty big 
story. And it was very surprising to find very little story whatsoever. It's it's more like a drunk person's telling stories. So let's let's start going through the plot and decide if this was actually a good movie or not. So yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read the plot summary out in the order that it is presented to us in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in a diner, a man and a woman who call each other Pumpkin and Honey Bunny eat breakfast. Honey Bunny teases Pumpkin for not wanting to commit armed robberies anymore, and Pumpkin explains that robbing the diner would be better than robbing convenience stores or banks. She agrees, and the two leap to their feet and draw their weapons before the opening credits roll. Um, I got Reservoir Dogs vibes from this. Yeah, because it was Tim Roth. It was Tim Roth in a diner with like a little monologue duologue. Felt like an Easter egg. I liked it. Yeah. But it de- I definitely went, oh, it's Tim, it's Tim Roth. Yeah, Roosevelt Dogs. Great performance. Yeah, I mean, it was a nice, fun Easter egg, which kind of set it up to not be too serious a film for me. Yes. It was was just jarring seeing an actor he had already used as the main character of a film starting a film. Yeah, and I think... Did he make this film straight after Reservoir Dogs? Is this his... I think it was very close to being afterwards, wasn't it? When was oh. Reservoir Dogs? 91? And this was 94, Don't so... Don't know. So, I mean, bold to open your film with the exact same actor that you used in your last film that yeah. you opened with. Um, yeah, I thought, okay, opening. Didn't really give you any idea at all what sort of film you're going to watch. No, it was um, quite a slow burn. I don't and think you could it's... say that about literally every other part of the film. Yeah, it was a slow burn. I don't think it gripped me the way that Reservoir Dogs did, especially in the, the intro. The intro to Reservoir Dogs made me like really curious, whereas yeah. this one I was just like, okay, let's sit back and veg, I guess. It and was just, just watch it passively. It was an opening dialogue scene in a film of dialogue scenes, wasn't it? Oh, the, this this film liked a monologue. God. Samuel L. Uh, Jackson had chunks of script to remember, and he wasn't yeah. even in it that much. <laughs> I think this mm. is more a testament to the to the actor's memories. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's edits and stuff, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did just, re- just know this to memory. Because, wow, some of, the, some of the monologues were long... Long, complex. Yeah. Bravo. There was points when I found myself drifting slightly and I had to remind myself, I was like, no, pay attention. Like, this will make sense? Question mark. Definitely, like, the start of this film, if you're, if you're with a bunch of friends watching this, you're going to start chatting and ignoring you, the film. Yeah. You're going to start chatting, you're going to tune in once or twice, but this is, I don't know. Across town, two men in suits named Vincent and Jules ride in a car discussing Europe and fast food. Jules tells Vincent that Marcellus, their boss, allegedly had a man thrown off a balcony for massaging his wife Mia's feet, who Vincent has been instructed to take out to dinner. 
They argue about the implications of foot massages before storming an apartment with three men inside. Jules kills one and recites Ezekiel 25:17 before killing another named Brett. Vincent retrieves a briefcase from a kitchen cabinet, the contents of which glow. So this is another example of Quentin Tarantino's good generic rambling, which I do like. When they're talking about him, uh, Vincent, living in Europe, it's such an organic, normal conversation. They do mm. he he does this in Reservoir Dogs. He does it again here in Pulp Fiction. It doesn't. It feels like two normal people talking. I would say, and I, I it's now that I've seen two of his films, you could take any dialogue from this and put it into Reservoir Dogs. And you could take pretty much any dialogue from Reservoir Dogs and put it in this film. As long as it's two characters talking, it doesn't really impact the plot at all. No. It's just two normal characters having a normal conversation like normal people would. Which I do quite like. I think some people think it's pointless. But it it does ground the film, I think. It, it grounds it, but it is amazing how generic it is. Yeah. Like, I wonder if Quentin Tarantino just sits down in front of a computer and just writes these scenes out. And then when he's coming up, like, coming up with a plot of a new film, he just goes, okay, I'll take that one and slap that here and that one and slap that here. It, yeah. Oh, surely these are actual conversations he's had. They must be. Like, And he just records it, them or something. Yeah, I bet his friends watch these films and go, hang on a minute. Yeah. I, I know this conversation. I, I I do like it. I liked this intro scene. However, it was it was long, very long. Like, All the scenes in this film are long. Yeah, really long. This got an hour runtime on Reservoir Dogs. From the last week, you said before you could comprehend what was going on that it had moved on, and it, yeah, this was almost the same. In the scenes went long. The moment I started to question them, it moved on. So they waited like just the right amount of time for me to phase out and go, <laughs> how long has this scene been going before it just really awkwardly cuts out and moves on to another scene? Completely unrelated. Yeah. And it's like they're covering their tracks. It's like, like they sat in the edit and went, oh, I don't know about this. I'll oh, just, just chop it here. And just chuck this other random scene in, and we'll call it art. It was like mini cliffhangers throughout, though, wasn't it? Where, yeah, yeah. They not not in terms of like they'd cut before the drama. Usually, it was way after the drama, like almost too far after the drama. But there was always some sort of spanner or twist before the cut, and it wasn't like like before somebody would shoot it'd just be a character making a remark that made you question something yeah or you'd there's a few times in this when you come back to a scene later on in the film Mm. but you get the twist when you've already come back to it like it would have been really good to have the twist at the end of the scene before they cut away yeah do you know what I mean like and then at least I'm on the hook going Oh well, how's this gonna play out? Like, what? What? You can't just leave it there. It's like cliffhangers, but boring cliffhangers. 
a lot happens in that bit, but also not a lot. In a bar, Marcellus gives an envelope full of cash to a boxer named Butch, bribing him to throw his next match. Vincent and Jules, now wearing t-shirts, enter the bar, and Butch has a brief exchange with Vincent on his way out. So we're now introduced, aren't we, to Butch? Yeah. Who's another character. But it which is my which my twenty twenty three brain went, huh, Bruce Willis. Oh, Bruce Willis with hair still, <laughs> slightly. There's so many famous actors in this. <laughs> the I'm cast just, is brilliant. It's brilliant, but for some reason, because of the tone of the movie, I just see them all as their actors and actress self. Yeah. I, I don't go, oh, that's oh, Bruce Willis is brilliant in this. I go, oh, Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis is playing the character he plays in literally every film he plays. Most of the most of the characters in this felt like they're just like the actors. And to me, anyway. I know we're not watching this film in hindsight. I think that is just us, and we just know these actors very well. I don't know. I think there's, like... There, like I can see a really famous actor in something, and they can kill it. And just be the character. You know what? I agree with you. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson is just playing shouty Samuel L. Jackson. Um, I, I'll be honest, I haven't seen John Travolta in a lot, apart from Grease. And other films that I can't think of right now. Um, <laughs> Bruce Willis, I've seen in so many films where he just sort of plays this moody character, and he's just yeah. playing moody Bruce Willis. Um, there are there are a few good performances, I feel, um, and we'll get to them when we get to them. But this is this is a good transition to introducing Butch. I feel. Because you get that bridge gap between Vincent and Jules coming into this bar. It's a quirky characterful film by this point. Like, uh, on the back of Marcellus's head, there's a plaster. And you just don't see his face for ages. For, like, no reason. And there's just little details everywhere in this film. Don't know why they're there, but they are. And yeah. it, gives, it draws the eye and it, it, it does create some interest, uh, which is needed because the scenes are so bloody long. But it does it does give you things to look at and question. In the following scene, Vincent buys heroin from his drug dealer named Lance and talks briefly to his girlfriend Jodie. After buying three grams of heroin, Vincent shoots up and heads to Mia's house. Mia does cocaine in the bathroom while Vincent fixes himself a drink. They head to a restaurant named Jackrabbit Slims, where they talk about Mia's failed television pilot and foot massage rumour, which Mia denies. Mia forces Vincent to participate in a twist contest, which they win. Didn't expect him to be a heroin addict. And doesn't, I feel, remotely affect his characterisation whatsoever. No. It just seems like a plot device that comes up later yeah everything yeah. in this film i feel is just to set something else up yeah. everything's Chekhov's gun it's just and it doesn't come across as clever does it there's no, no point and it's, where you go oh yeah that, oh really good well well done <laughs> it's just oh yeah lots yeah, of stuff that happens. makes sense lots of stuff happens but not clever stuff yeah, like he turns up to this to do this meal really messed up. Yeah, and you can tell. Like fair like, play, oh, John Travolta. 
and then something's going to go down because he's so messed up, and then it just, just doesn't. Doesn't really. I mean, affect. Can, you, can you really shoot up heroin, then go out for dinner and drive places? Apparently, according to Tarantino, you can. There's a bunch of this film I didn't get. No. Loads of details, loads of references that just probably aren't of our time. Yeah, because obviously Tarantino is a big, I think we discussed it during the Reservoir Dogs, he used to work in a video shop, so has probably seen almost every film that was ever released. Um, And I think that really influences his writing and his directing. And yeah. He's got full control over these films, basically. Like, nothing's there for no reason. Or maybe I'm just giving him too much credit. <laughs> but anyway, uh, good performance by... Who's the lady that plays? Uma Thurman. So Uma Thurman. Uma yeah. Thurman. Poison Ivy Great from form. Batman and Robin. Well, like, Probably the entire time... Role the entire time you think oh she's trying to get him to do something stupid she's trying to get him killed like that's what she enjoys yeah she's a little flirt isn't she yeah it's like she likes to tease marcellus and she likes how much marcellus sort of dotes on her but i really liked uma thurman's performance you could always it was am i giving her too much credit i felt like she was like this not very deep character but that was sort of a facade she was putting on so it was like a character playing a character yes i felt like there was more going on she was always she always felt like she was one step ahead yeah she had she wasn't whereas vincent was just trying to get through yeah and it was pretty well acted i feel i was quite happy with her performance yeah um again um, the scene was long long old scene um yeah just kept going and there was just another big old dialogue scene about a pilot <laughs> and it was just character building that wasn't really character building because we never came back to it yeah just everything was long and drawn out i got i got by this point, I was getting two, 2001 A Space Odyssey vibes. I was going to say weird 2001 A Space Odyssey vibes from this. Of in the fact of... that there is the different stories going on and they're very, very loosely linked. And also there's just so much dialogue that doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, like and good I su- dialogue. It's good. It's just... it's, it is good dialogue. I think this it's is well written. Good... I think this is a good film if you just like watching, if you like people watching, if you sit in a cafe and just like watching the world around you. That's this film. It's yeah, it's people watching Simulator. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, and I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think people are boring. (laughs) It yeah, it really epitomizes. Is that the right word? Sort of those mundane conversations that everybody has. Yeah. Although the benefit of that is you don't have to sit there and watch everyone's conversations. A little cameo from Steve Buscemi. Did you catch that? I did, yeah. As the waiter, the Buddy Holly waiter. Nice. 
Back at Mia's house, while Vincent uses the bathroom, Mia mistakes his heroin for cocaine and snorts it, falling unconscious. A panicked Vincent rushes her to Lance's house, although Lance is reluctant to help. Vincent is able to successfully revive her with an adrenaline shot straight to the heart. At the end of the night, the two agree to keep the night's events a secret. This just happens, doesn't it? It's a thing, just happens. It's a thing that happens and it has no relevance on anything. Not really, apart from the fact that you know Vincent is now safe because they're going to keep it all a secret. That's, yeah. Um, which just renders the entire thing pointless. Yeah. This this um, this whole section is a bit like, does a bar- dog really bark in the woods if no one's there to hear it? What an odd way to say that reference, but okay. <laughs> And some would go with the tree one, but you went with a dog, fair play. <laughs> What's it supposed to be? If a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it. Oh, maybe it really the dog's fall? supposed to run halfway. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And at what point is yeah. he running halfway out? I don't know. Oh. What a way to throw me off track. Good lord. <laughs> well done. Well done. What a tangent. I mean, the moment you see her pull out that little bag of heroin, you know what she's going to do. Yeah. They've set it up well. Have they? I think so. You get the scenes where you see her powder in her nose in the restaurant. And I think it's set up well enough that she's a big cocaine user. Um, And yeah, when she pulls out a bag of white powder, I think you know what she's going to do. Yeah, I, it's just um, still, like, his character just didn't come across as a heroin user. And it's, it felt like... No, yeah. It was just, like, all of that was just for this scene to happen. It's weird that, because of the tone of the film, I was never actually scared for her. I, like, I kind of knew she would always be okay. Yeah. And I don't know why I felt that way. But that there wasn't wasn't a huge amount of drama. It was very very shouty for me, without any actual fear of her dying. Well, there's a bit, and we'll get to it, where when they do show characters at the end of their story, and then with the long linear storytelling. It takes literally all the tension out of some scenes later on. It's super, which is a super anticlimactic, very anticlimactic. Which, if the film were in chronological order, I feel you would have these ten scenes throughout the film, and you wouldn't know where they were going. And like this bit's still fine. This bit you're still thinking you're in a linear film. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you're not. A man named Captain Coons visits Butch as a child, giving him a gold watch that is his family heirloom. As an adult, Butch kills his opponent in a boxing match, rather than purposely losing as Marcellus wanted. Butch escapes in a cab driven by a woman named Esmeralda and calls his bookie named Scotty, who plans to collect Butch's earnings. Meanwhile, Marcellus orders for Butch to be killed. At a nearby motel, Butch's girlfriend, Fabienne, waits for him, and the two talk 
and have sex. The next morning, Butch realises his gold watch is missing and angrily leaves the motel in search of it. First flashback. Christopher Walken. <laughs> Christopher Walken. Brilliant hey. scene. Oh, it's Christopher Walken. Ooh, I like celebrities. Christopher Walken playing Christopher Walken. I don't think I've ever watched a film with Christopher Walken where he isn't playing Christopher Walken. I think he starts out trying to do an accent or something and then becomes more Christopher Walken. (laughs) (laughs) It starts to slip out, doesn't it? Yeah. He just, he does like, and then he's off. (laughs) Great story, as we can say about everything in this. That's a great story about the watch. Been smuggled up his bomb. It just went more Tarantino throughout, like throughout as well. Yeah, as it gets really intense, and you realise that he's telling a child this story. Yeah, it's a really dark story that you wouldn't actually tell a child. No, and it's just like why the details? Yeah, it's why just Quentin Tarantino? Yeah. Isn't it? It's why? Just... Why? Why? Big old fourteen-year-old. Why for this <laughs> film? Yeah, we get. The follow-up to Butch in the bar when he says he's going to go down in the fifth and then we realise he hasn't gone down in the fifth and he's sort of double-crossed Marcellus. Um, Seems like a good plan. He's going to rake up all this money and disappear. Good storytelling. And then, obviously, you find out that the watch that has been this family heirloom, he doesn't have it. Takes it out on his girlfriend, but then backtracks and oh god him and his girlfriend have so much dialogue that does so not affect much. the movie in any way just everything is about setting up these characters going look we have a relationship look here's a bunch of pointless stuff that isn't they, actually oh, affecting got, the they've plot they've got a brilliant relationship they love each other oh he, she, he doesn't actually love her as much as the watch yeah like, oh okay so he's actually a little bit mentally abusive to her you just like giving me like fifteen twenty minutes of dialogue yeah. to just have a little flipperoo. Great, well done. Big old, big old scene in a taxi as well. Yeah, that just sort of doesn't, doesn't lead doesn't, anywhere. Yeah, no, you're like, oh, who's this lady? She's a bit of a psycho. Yeah. Uh, I will. It. I. It would have made sense for me if she was his girlfriend. I yeah, mean, his getaway driver. Because it it felt like she was waiting for him and then drove so aggressively. Mm. Odd. Very odd. Yeah. Long. Long scenes that go (laughs) nowhere. I feel like this is such a highly rated film. I I feel like we're just too dumb. Uh, Clearly we're missing something. I know. Do you know what I mean we we didn't understand two thousand and one, and now we're not understanding Pulp Fiction. I don't know. Maybe we these just loose don't. stories, very with tooth floss, <laughs> sort of held together. Uh, and like your your sense of him is that he's he's dumb as hell, that he just like gets a taxi directly from the venue to where he's hiding. No yeah. jumping in other cars, no nothing. But there's no consequence for that. No, none at all. You don't get any consequence with Esmeralda. Like, even though she's going to cover his tracks for him and say, no, I only had three drunk Mexicans. Yeah, for a 20. Just 
bizarre. Butch cautiously returns to his apartment and initially finds out no one is there. He retrieves the watch, but then notices a gun on the counter. Hearing the toilet flush, he then kills the man who emerges from the bathroom. The man is Vincent. Butch leaves, but is then spotted by Marcellus at a stoplight. Butch rams him with his car, and an injured Marcellus chases an injured Butch until both men are subdued inside a nearby pawn shop by the owner named Maynard. Vincent's death, super anticlimactic. Uh, no, I think it's quite climactic at this point in the film because we know who Vincent is yeah. and we haven't seen him for a while. But it, it was like, oh, I'm really excited to see what happens to Vincent next. And then he just comes out of the toilet and is shot dead. And it's just like, oh, I kind of wanted to see if there was any drama following on from that. Apparently well, we not. Get, we get that little bit, don't we? Um where when the when Butch comes out and sneaks away in the taxi in the previous scene, you get that scene of Vincent walking down a corridor to try and find Butch in his dressing room, but it's revealed that he's not there. Yeah, yeah. And then we get the scene with Marcellus and Mia is there, and he goes, "Oh, how are you after the night?" She's like, "Yeah, fine. Thanks for taking me out to dinner." That's our, that's our payoff. Over it. The, that is your payoff. That's your, that's pay your anticlimactic payoff. We get it. <laughs> but yeah. Very anticlimactic. Uh, but I really like the tension building in this scene in the apartment. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. He sneaks in. You're like, oh, he's got away with it. He puts these Pop Tarts in the toaster. He goes from cautious to arrogance so quickly. But then we, we see him see something, but we don't see what he sees. And you've got the nice shot where it sort of pulls out and he looks down and then the camera comes down to reveal the oozy gun. And you go, ooh, someone's here. Mm-hmm. Um, toilet flushes, great. He braces himself and then, yeah, Vincent comes out and you get that scene where they they just stare at each other. No one says anything. And then when the toaster pops up, it sort of stuns Butch and he kills him. The pause does make you think, oh, is this character actually cold-blooded killer? Because he killed the guy in the boxing match, but he didn't mean to. Whereas this well, time they, he mm. meant to. And maybe that is why we get the scene in the taxi. Yeah. Because she's really... Esmeralda's trying to decipher, isn't she? It's like, well, you've killed a man now. How do you feel? Yeah. Does this change things now? Yeah. So maybe there are levels there. Mm. I don't. Maybe they're meant to be there. I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and say, yes, this was intended. And he is contemplating, am I a killer in this point in time? I am, in fact, shocked that there isn't a dialogue scene here. Yeah. With the, a big old monologue with him trying to talk him down. Well, you could have easily done that. It's a, it's a pulp. It's a mush. It's a, it's mush. a mush. He's so this, covered himself so... with this title. Very well. <laughs> so this is the first time we see Marcellus's face as well. Which yeah, is... Ving Rhames. And it's just like, well, why didn't we see him before? <laughs> like, it wasn't like an, oh, cool moment. You just see his face in a really mundane well, way. It's like not even a big reveal. It's not like a big Wizard of Oz pulling the curtain back reveal. <laughs> but this chase scene was, I think this chase scene was not good Tarantino. It was messy. It was 
It's not full very well thought out by the characters, is it? Exactly. And it does, it's, it's not impulse. It's not a nice clean sequence, which is which makes a cool chase scene, doesn't it? Yeah. They're stumbling he, into shops and they're stumbling around. It's real, isn't it? This is what you will probably do. If you've been in a car accident, you feel like the characters are actually messed up. Yeah. Because there's so many times in movies when people get messed up and then they're absolutely fine to run and fight. Like, they don't look comfortable. Butch and Marcellus wake up in the pawn shop basement where Maynard has bound and gagged them. A man named Zed shows up who orders Maynard to get the gimp. A man in a full-body bondage suit who sleeps in a trunk. Zed drags Marcellus into another room to be raped while Maynard watches. Butch manages to break free. And as he's about to flee, he hears Marcellus's cries and instead retrieves a katana sword and ambushes the men. Killing Maynard and now free, Marcellus shoots Zed in the crotch and tells Butch that the men are even. As long as Butch leaves town and never tells anyone about the incident. Butch rides Zed's chopper motorcycle back to the motel and he and Fabienne ride away together. What is the point in this scene? I don't know. Uncomfortable scene that is, how do we set up these two characters forgiving each other? Like, what a dark, dark scene. I will say, this did have my favourite bit of the entire movie, where he kept on picking up weapons and finding bigger ones. Kept that was it up. slapstick, Charlie Chaplin, storytelling, and I loved it. <laughs> Funny. You could quite easily do without this scene, I feel. Or it could easily be something else. Again, it's just Quentin Tarantino being a 14-year-old boy in a man's body. I mean, it gave them a reason to be evens. It's a big old reason, isn't it? Big old long scene. But it was a fun scene (laughs) with the katana and the waiting and the pauses. It It was well shot. So now we get the non-linear part of the film. So the the film flashes back to a scene where Jules recites Ezekiel twenty five seventeen, only this time from the perspective of an armed man hiding in the bathroom. After Jules kills Brett, the man runs out and fires wildly, miraculously missing Jules and Vincent with his entire clip. Jules and Vincent kill him, and Jules calls the event an act of divine intervention. The two take Marvin, the only surviving man in the apartment, with them and leave. In the car, the men continue debating divine intervention when Jules pledges to give up his life of crime. Vincent accidentally shoots Marvin in the face, killing him. Jules calls a nearby friend named Jimmy and they head to his house to deal with the clean-up. I mean, it seems like he really wanted to show this other perspective of this scene but didn't want to cut between the two yeah (laughs) this this is where it really started losing me like this whole bit was just kind of to explain why they were in city outfits yeah it's yes it like and the gun just going off, it was just like, oh, okay, now we've got another hurdle to get to before the end of the film. 
Um, yeah, the film sort of ended with yeah. Butch and Fabian, and then I'm like, oh wait, what? It's like it's like you're getting a bunch of bonus scenes, like deleted scenes. At Jimmy's house, Jules calls Marcellus for help, who arranges for a man named Winston Wolfe to come over and help fix the situation. Jimmy tells the men they have 90 minutes before his wife Bonnie arrives home. Wolfe arrives 10 minutes later and instructs Jules and Vincent to wipe down the car upholstery. They place Jimmy's blankets over the seats and Wolfe hoses a naked Jules and Vincent down in the backyard before giving them old t-shirts to wear. They follow Wolf to a nearby auto shop where the car is destroyed. Just another scene, isn't it? This happens. It's like... Next scene. It's... it's, Hi, I'm Quentin Tarantino. How can I put myself in this film? Yeah, if you just want to read the next bit of plot summary, (laughs) that's fine. That's it. There's nothing to discuss there. (laughs) No. And it's long. It's like 20 minutes. It's just, it's a long scene that doesn't need to be there. It's world building, but it has no impact on the plot, apart from setting up why we briefly saw Vincent and Jules in t-shirts earlier. Yeah. And I think they brush it off as, oh, it's a long story. And then we get to see that bloody long story. Hey, they weren't long. Yeah, they weren't wrong. (laughs) It was a long story. It's just, it's like Quentin Tarantino sat down in front of a, well, it probably wasn't a word document at this time in history, but in front of his typewriter, <laughs> wrote down all of these dialogue scenes and then wrote down a bunch of characters and yeah. just sort of weaved them together. Mashed it all up. Yeah, he wanted a cleaner character played by Harvey Keitel and then just slapped some of his dialogue on it. Yeah. Jules and Vincent decide to get breakfast at the same diner that Pumpkin and Honey Bunny are about to rob in the first scene. Vincent goes to the bathroom just before Pumpkin and Honey Bunny draw their guns. When Pumpkin demands Jules' wallet and briefcase, Jules draws his weapon and explains to Pumpkin that he now understands the true meaning of Ezekiel 2517 and wants to find a non-violent solution. Vincent emerges from the bathroom, resulting in a Mexican standoff. Jules successfully de-escalates the situation, and he and Vincent leave the diner with briefcase in hand. Roll credits. I like the final scene. I like it, but literally all the tension is taken away. Yeah, yeah, because you know they're going to survive. Just like it. It'd, have been, it'd have been good at the time it appeared in the film. If it was chronological. Because you'd have had this tension. You knew that this briefcase was worth money. You didn't know if they were going to lose it. Do you know what I mean? Like, a lot of of attention given to this briefcase that is just a MacGuffin, isn't it? It's just a plot device. It's the rabbit's foot from Mission Mm. Impossible. It's a doodad. I think you you could quite easily edit this scene and the first scene together in the time it should appear in the film and it would probably make quite a good scene and then you just literally cut everything after Butch and Fabian ride away in the sunset yeah weird, weird film weird film overall I feel, do I get the hype no I don't get the hype either every part I enjoyed is preceded and followed by a really 
boring but well-written dialogue scene. Yeah. And I just kept finding myself drifting off. And every time I did that, it would move on and reset. And I go, oh, this is quite a cool scene. I'm getting bored again. Oh, oh, here's here's something. Oh, no, this is also boring. Oh, maybe, no, this is also nothing. And especially at last, the moment they start flashing back non-linearly, it really lost me. Because, I mean, the non-linear flashbacks... It didn't serve a purpose to me. It was just there for the sake of it. It was. It just seemed like it was there to go. I remember those characters from the beginning of the film that you've not seen for like an hour because we've been focusing on Butch. Here they are again. Here's some dialogue scenes that you might have enjoyed. Like it wasn't as good as the flashbacks in Reservoir Dogs. No, because they right, served built. the plot. Yeah, built the story. That this was just, as he said, a pulp, a mess. Like Vincent Jules are the more enjoyable characters and i feel like he maybe knew that so in the edit he went oh let's do some non-linear storytelling and flash back and show some scenes of them from earlier on but it 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 felt like the film ended with butch and fabienne riding away in the sunset and then and then just deleted scenes rolled do you know what i mean yeah they didn't serve the plot they would if they had have been in it, it'd have prolonged it. It they just felt out of place, and it felt like the plot had been told. It had been loosely tied up, and then we got these weird scenes that you almost couldn't find a place for, even though they have a place. Odd, 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 odd film. Yeah, it's the most film I've ever seen. It's a film. So scores on the doors for me, 5 out of 10. I think I agree with you there, 5 out of 10. Just yeah, mid. It's mid-range. <laughs> it's not great, it's not terrible, it's just there. Yeah. Mm. A, a mess of little stories. Yeah. Why um, people rate this like 9 point something out of 10, beyond me. Yeah. I mean, this won the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. Really? I mean, it is well written, conversationally. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's just too much, too much of it. There's just far too much of it. Ugh. And Joel, in 2013, this was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress for culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant reasons. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I think it's a very aesthetic film. It's a very aesthetic film. I feel like it could have been more aesthetic, though. It's a pinch of the 90s, isn't it? I don't think I get the hype. No, I don't get the hype. Sorry, I just don't get it. don't think I'd watch it again. I'm going to rewatch it in, like, two years when we see more films. And maybe I'll I'll have an epiphany. Maybe I'll have an eye-opening moment and I go... Oh my god, I understand this film. Because <laughs> at the minute it's little, just a film. There's a little part of me that thinks, because I don't actually like this film, I, I go, ooh, am I bad at watching films? <laughs> I don't know why. I don't think so. Uh, I just, I'm not fully sure what it is about this film that people think is so clever about it. What are we watching next week? 
Next week, we're watching Doctor Strangelove, whatever that's Ooh, about. An oldie. Yeah. Oh, is it going to be black and white? Mm. Last black and white one was good, though. So. Fingers Let's crossed. See. Let's see. Outro time, go. Shake it off, shake it off, shake, shake. Bye. I mean, that's not even related to the plot, but go for it. They had a shake. Oh, no, it's a twist off. Oh, I fucking did it all. (laughs) Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the 1001 Movies We Have Not Seen podcast. You can subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice. Or follow us on Insta at 1001 Movies Not Seen Pod. We have new episodes every Thursday. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week. It wasn't a shake-off. Oh, dear. Perfect. <laughs>